Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another show. Uh, the playoffs are just continuing to deliver at every possible level. One game after another. The games are great. Sometimes the games are blowouts, and they're still great because all sorts of fun things are, are happening in the in the first half, or adjustments are being made. Um, I don't know where you want to start today, Cody. The last time we talked, the Lakers and the Warriors hadn't played a basketball game, and uh, now that that's happening, it it uh, feels like a big event that we should probably talk about. Do you want to talk about basketball first? Is there any, anywhere else in your life you'd like to go, Ben? No. What are you asking me? Are you okay. trying to? What's what's going on? Here's the thing, Ben. You're you're a smart guy. You've been out there Don't in the world before. It. Yeah. I want to I want to pitch something to you. I want to know your thoughts on something, Ben. Um, what do you think about Living Plus? Oh ben? my! Oh my God! What do you think what about is Living Plus? Is this a good investment? Like my people are sitting here looking at Living Plus, wondering is is this is this an investment that I I need to be interested in? Oh, I mean, it's nice. It's nice to be able to have a topical television program reference. I take it a lot of people are watching Succession, and Living Plus doesn't give anything away. So it's a nice. It's a nice joke. If you're on episode one of the series, you have Living Plus to look forward to. It's great. Yeah, just you know, Land Cruises, Ben. It's it's like it's like social media <laughs> in real life. It it sounds great. Honestly, like, listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What? You hear the pitch on it because I think back to like my college days, and that's kind of how what I was thinking about. I'm like, you're within walking distance of everything you need. Everyone in your life that seems to be that you matters is like within wait, like a three foot a square foot radius. Do, do you realize that no one who has seen the episode of this show they don't know what you're on right now. They have no idea what's happening to start this. You're talking about land cruises instead of the NBA playoffs. What's what's happening? You know what? Sometimes what I've learned when you have when you have those thirty faces sitting in front of you, if you can get like one of them to get engaged because they're like, oh my god, I get this. That's all it needs sometimes. So to the thirty six of you right now, you're welcome. <laughs> I I don't know where to go after that. Um, the Nuggets are are ahead two nothing against the Suns. Hey, you you actually surprised me here. I get home I get home from teaching and you're all like, Hey, you should watch this Nuggets video before. I didn't even know you were working on a Nuggets video. Do you wanna do you wanna break down for anyone that either watched it and wants a little bit more a little bit more sauce on their wings or if they haven't seen it yet, like what what's going on with your Nuggets video? No, they should go watch the video. But I, I do have a question for you now that you've mm-hmm. seen it. Um Do you think that this is more about the matchup? With the Suns and the Nuggets, is it an inexperience of the Suns because they're a new team? Is it Monty Williams not making adjustments? Or that's not even the right way to phrase it. Not having a system that's flexible enough to to change on the fly or something. Because it seems to me, Cody, that what's happening with the Suns right now is similar to what happened with the Suns last year in Dallas, right? Where the the Mavs used a smaller lineup, horizontal pressure defensively, put two on the ball, hedge on the ball, recover. If you want to try to go after Luka Doncic, in this case, it's uh, Nikola Jokic. We're going to temporarily put him in a position where then we recover. We're all communicated and buttoned up recovering. We have our P's and Q's. We know our rules. This guy goes there. This guy goes here. And then there's no advantage. 
And because the Suns, let's leave aside the three-point shooting and the mid-range thing for a second. They don't put a ton of pressure on the rim, right? That's where my mind is going. So, yeah, you could try to do something differently, but given the way the Suns have played basketball for the last few seasons and given the personnel that they had, even if Chris Paul wasn't out, if you haven't heard Chris Paul tweaked his groin, um, you know, this happens a lot with Chris Paul in playoff series. He gets these nagging injuries. He misses a couple games. He will miss at least a couple games. I don't know if he could be available to come back at the end of the series, but they said he'll be reevaluated in like six or seven days or something like that. So Chris Paul aside, where does the rim pressure come from? That That's my question. And if you can't do that, we talked about it before the series, Anthony Edwards, the Timberwolves, it's going to look different because they're constructed differently. And even though Phoenix might be a much better team in a vacuum against a random opponent, the matchup against the Nuggets, at least Minnesota could put some pressure on the rim. Even a guy like Rudy Gobert with his lob finishing and his offensive rebounding and that size, the Nuggets' weakness defensively, without a doubt, is a lack of verticality and rim protection in the paint. And the Suns haven't really been able to exploit that and, and, you know, my question is, can they? Is there an easy way to do that? Or are you just stuck playing the cards that you have in your hand? So looking at the rim field goal attempts numbers from this playoffs right now. All right. If we look at some of the players that are, you know, I'm just looking at certain players that are doing well in these playoffs. Jokic takes about six shots uh, at the rim uh, every game. Jimmy Butler's at about 6.7. Jason Tatum's a little above six. Anthony Davis about seven. Anthony Edwards, aforementioned, took about seven shots at the rim each game, right? So that's what we're talking about with some of these high-end offensive players. During these playoffs right now, Devin Booker taking about four at the rim, right? Four every game. Kevin Durant, 1.4 shots at the rim each game. Chris Paul, 1.2. So I think something that like carries over from last year with the Suns, and I talked about it a lot with like Mikhail Bridges, who really loves getting to his mid-range spot, right? Like he can do a little bit of creating, but ultimately he's not going to get all to the all the way to the rim. But adding Kevin Durant, while obviously like a huge offensive upgrade, doesn't actually upgrade this specific weak- weakness that the Suns themselves had last year. And I think, you know, you've talked about it before where the matchup dictates exactly how the how the series is being played. Um, I feel like this Nuggets team, is the way that they're defensively constructed, is exactly the kind of players, the kind of personnel you'd want to be able to defend these guys. None of these guys, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, they don't necessarily have blow-by speed, like you just said, right? And so you can put someone like Aaron Gordon can switch across all of them. Jeff Green can go out there and hold his own on all of them. So I really think, you know, we talked a lot, not we, I should say, I'm saying like collectively, like the NBA intelligentsia out there with all of their shows and whatever else talked a lot about, Oh, they're going to toast them in the mid range. Yeah. But they're also not going to exploit them where they're weakest, which is at the rim. So I think this is a case of like the nuggets are very well coached in this very specific defensive style. And they happen to have like the perfect kind of personnel to counter the way that the Suns want to play offense. So I really think it's up to the Suns at this point to dictate how they're going to counter this and how they're going to go against how they want to play offense. That's what I'm looking for right but now. But credit to Denver for building the mm-hmm. roster. It's it's such a different team around Jokic this year. The obvious part is Jamal Murray being back after missing two postseasons and then Michael Porter Jr. being pretty healthy. But all the complementary pieces change everything so much, and especially on the defensive end of the court. So Bruce Brown, 
Kentavious Caldwell Pope. You can't say enough about him. Uh, our our incredible video coordinator, Mike De La Rosa, sent a message to the group that I just loved, which is Kentavious Caldwell Pope is built for war. And I was like, that <laughs> summarizes that man perfectly. Um, you mentioned Aaron Gordon. Obviously, he's been there for a little bit, but wasn't there back in the day. And let's hand out some more flowers while we're doing this, because sometimes you make a video like that and you notice some minutia that you can't really stop and pause and call out in the video. But Christian Brown, a guy that we've liked uh, around these parts all season, we thought he might get some looks with his size and defensive minutes. Um, and they've been great. And to your point, Cody, just having more bodies and, and a roster. I mean, Christian Brown's like six seven, six eight, and he's been doing it all year against elite competition. Uh, he, again, guarding Kevin Durant, you feel comfortable playing him with Brown as the primary when Durant catches it on his sweet spot because he has length. And look, KD is going to make some of those shots. Chris Paul, when he was in there, is going to snake and get to the mid-range, and you're, and you're going to live with him making 45 or 50% of those shots. Devin Booker, let's continue to hand out some flowers. We, we can talk about their weaknesses and things like that, but I think Devin Booker continues to play incredibly well on both ends of the floor, and some of his tough shot making, especially within, within like 18 feet and just staying under control, that's part of what has really impressed me about Booker's improvement, notably this season, strength and balance. You know, it goes back to what we we're talking about with Stephen Curry. I'm, I'm really on this kick in the playoffs because what teams try to do is to try to crowd you. The game gets more physical. They try to push you off your spot. We'll talk about that a little later if we ever decide to talk about the Celtics and the 76ers. <laughs> um, and your ability to dribble and move and contain that space is so huge. And I think Booker's had a number of buckets in this series and, and a ton in the Clippers series where he has sort of shouldered into traffic and then he's still under great control. So he can throw an up fake or he can create a little space to get that shot off. 12-footer, soft, rolls around on the rim or it's swish because he's, he's really good from that area. So I, I know it's strange in podcast land to hand out flowers for both teams at the same time. Um, but there are a ton for the Nuggets in addition to Christian Brown. You mentioned Jeff Green. Aaron Gordon is let's, – let's go back to that last point. Aaron Gordon is physically so much stronger than Kevin Durant. And we talked about the possibility of him getting some seals and easy baskets on the offensive end. But even just defensively, the Celtics did this to Durant last year. They said uh, – and Draymond Green actually said it in an interview with Doris Burke. You don't want to let Kevin Durant catch it at – 13 feet, turn and face the basket because he's so tall. He gets one dribble into a comfort zone. He's completely balanced. His footwork is exactly how he wants it. And that's like a 60% shot for him. It sounds nuts, but that is like a 60% shot for him at this point in his career. And what you have to do to limit his percentages down to 52, 48, 44 is make that catch at 17 feet. Well, Aaron Gordon next to Durant um, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like a bull next to a flamingo. You know what I mean? It's, it's like it, just the massive strength difference. And so if you can push him five feet off your spot and then get a good contest and he's long, um, Jeff Green has a clip in the video, like 
He can switch. They don't mind switching. They, they move and rotate. Michael Porter Jr. has actually had uh, pretty good defensive possessions. And it's not just the individual. You have to go back to Michael Malone and the coaching staff and what they've put in all season. They understand. I, I have help behind me on my left. A guy's supposed to be here in this driving gap. This is how we rotate and recover. We're communicating at all times. And it's the same thing... To some degree, it reminds me of Durant's series with the Nets, where it's like, if you can't have someone alleviate pressure by putting a lot of um, pressure, not just on the rim, but in the case, like when you watch the Warriors, they put pressure on the three-point line extensively. They stretch you. If you don't have one clear point to help out there, I think the Nuggets will love to have these isolation possessions on the wing from 17 feet and uh, take it all the way to the bank, basically. And then, you know, like we were saying earlier, talking about the fact that rim protection is a weaker point for the Nuggets, they credit to these guys for rotating around and getting blocks. Michael Porter Jr. had a, I don't remember who it was that he blocked. You had it in the video. I think Aiton. Yeah. Yeah. Meets him at the rim to throw it back at him. Jeff Green has one where he's just in the right spot. He's long. He's athletic. Shout out to Jeff Green for having one of his playoff just slams. Like, it's really difficult to explain the Jeff Green experience because this dude just shows up and does really great stuff every playoffs. Like, he's he's wonderful. But I think one thing, Ben, one thing that I'm, I'm always trying to think about, what am, what am I learning as I'm watching these playoffs? How am I updating my priors about basketball? What can I learn from all this? And one thing, unfortunately, from watching the Milwaukee Bucks, watching the Cleveland Cavaliers, and now watching these teams that are being successful, been the importance of these big, athletic, coordinated wings that you can just deploy in a lot of different places. They don't even necessarily need to be hyper-skilled, but if they're physical, if they're strong, and they can just move around the court and cause havoc on that way, uh, they're going to be they're going to be tremendous for you. Because I'm thinking about like Christian Brown, for instance, right? I think I compare him to, to Rui Hachimura, actually, as these guys that are just like, wow, you're a lot more valuable than I thought you were just by, by your mere size and athleticism here. And so I think that's one of the main takeaways is like these teams that really, like you said, want to go to war in the playoffs, you're going to need, you're going to need strength and athleticism on the wing to go out and do this. And, you know, I don't know what flowers we're handing out to them. I think we need to hash that out at some point. I'm a visual person. So is it like a dandelions? I, I don't even know. Can you hand out geraniums? But uh, let, let I like handing out the flowers to some of these guys. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not a what is it a botanist? I'm not a super skilled in in flowers, but there's plenty to go around. And to your last point about wings, I mean, I don't think it's secret. I don't think we have groundbreaking content here to say that big wings help in the playoffs and they're valuable and they're beneficial. But what jumps out to me about even just looking at guys like Rui Hachimura or Christian Brown, if you can defend and move with some degree of agility, and then you have an offensive skill that doesn't make you sort of uh, a non-factor on offense. So you either shoot threes as a a 3-and-D spot-up guy, or in Rui's case, he's got a great mid-range, or he can cut and kind of slash to the basket. So even though neither of those guys you think of as really big offensive pieces, when you plug and play and kind of insert and tinker them into different lineups, you can go big, you can go small, whatever it is. I think the key thing defensively that you come back to, the Celtics, of course, Jalen Brown, 
Jay, uh, who's the other one there? Um, Jason Tatum. 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 <laughs> I guess the MVP player for the Celtics. <laughs> what is his name? Uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I got ahead of myself. I was thinking of Grant Williams. Um, you, you have these bigger, switchier bodies. Even a guy like Malcolm Brogdon now, Derek White as well. They're like 6'4", 6'5". So I think what happens in the playoffs... Denver's got Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Aaron Gordon, Christian Brown, uh, potentially Jeff Green, potentially Michael Porter Jr. I think what happens in the playoffs in these situations with these big wing-type players is the game gets more physical, so your size matters, and then everything is a little more precise with the spacing, and the effort is higher. And it's not to say, I've said this many times, it's not to say regular season effort is poor. I think regular season effort in the playoffs, in the regular season, in the NBA is the highest it's ever been that I can see. Uh, It's a conversation for another day. But I think what happens in the postseason is you're just going all out, 100%, pedal to the metal, and everything is systematically kind of, okay, I want you standing exactly right here. The Miami Heat did this to the Atlanta Hawks last year. Okay, P.J. Tucker, there's another wing-type size player. Jimmy Butler, okay. Even Bam Adebayo, who's a big We've talked about it a lot. He's kind of like a rangy wing. Draymond Green is kind of like a rangy wing. Of course, the um, Warriors, Andrew Wiggins now, they used to have Iguodala. They had Kevin Durant. It's the same thing. When you get into a playoff series and you say, and you saw it in this Nuggets video, hey, when the ball's here, I want you two steps over into this gap. Hey, when Trey Young, Young is running pick and roll, you slide up to, you stand exactly right here. Everyone knows where to be at exactly the right time. And Cody, not just the strength part that I talked about, not just a little rim protection, your favorite thing with a lot of these guys when they rotate to the basket, but the last thing is the horizontal length. The difference between being 6'6", 6'8", and being 6'2", and we were talking about it right before we recorded, a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers literally just has no sort of playoff wing players right now. And that just creates a ton of issues for them, as we saw. Even your Milwaukee Bucks, uh, Chris Middleton's health aside, really struggle in this area as well. Similar problem, like we saw it with the Celtics series last year. If your guards are small and your bigs are more limited, you don't get any of that in-between value. Whereas, man, if you got a team like the Nuggets, at least you can construct these kind of defensive systems. It's, it's, it's really interesting to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, I think this is the second time on this podcast I pronounced the word havoc. I don't know if that's the Midwestern in me coming out. I don't know if I actually just pronounced that. I'm getting a little worried about it, Ben. But I was going to ask you about that, and I thought maybe it's like, is that a is that a Marvel character or something? I thought that's what you were referencing. Is it an X-Man? Is, is he an X-Man? I think he's an it's X-Man, we- but I don't know these things. All right, I don't know if he's pronounced havoc. That's probably not. That's probably not the case. But build, building on to your point here, um, I think the issue that a lot of teams get to, because I think we saw this, especially like right around 2015, 2016, a bunch of teams just tried to draft a bunch of long 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six types of guys. I know the Bucks dabbled in this, the Magic dabbled in it, the Raptors continue dabbling in this, but the key that a lot of these teams miss is that these rangy wings that we're talking about that are so valuable, 
just because they're rangy and athletic doesn't necessarily mean that they have other skills that are necessary, like getting to the basket, creating for other people. And what the Warriors and the Nuggets have that allows you to load up on these kinds of guys are these generational offensive talents in Jokic and Steph Curry that allows you to kind of build around them. Like having Jokic and then just sort of surrounding him with all these defensive guys, that's kind of the secret to Jokic's offensive ability is you can just surround him with these dudes that's like, all right, when this happens, make this cut, you make this cut, you fly around here and you'll get a basket. It'll all work out in the end. And I think that's what makes the Nuggets so special is they're able to to build a team like this, whereas another team that might try it, it might not work because they don't have that secret sauce. But something else that I want to ask you about, Ben, because, you know, we had our whole episode trying to evaluate coaches, all right? And I think we came to the conclusion that it's it's really difficult, right? It's evaluating how good a coach is is difficult. But now we're seeing this Nuggets team coached by Michael Malone really taking this this Suns team to task. So are we underrating Michael Malone? Is he secretly a, a very good coach? Is he playing, like we were just talking about, into a team that his team is really built for? I don't know. What are your thoughts about Michael Malone so far in the playoffs? I, I've, I've liked Michael Malone for a while. I, I don't know if he's underrated because I don't know what the consensus message board, social media rating status score, the the Q score of Michael Malone is these days. Um, but, I mean, he hasn't popped in coach of the year mm-hmm. voting and things like that. I, I said it before, I think, when we talked about coaching. Trusting a second-round draft pick and understanding that you can continue to tilt the offense around him and then some of the principles and defensive uh, concepts that they've put in this year. Uh, I mean, I think you have to give him credit. And when we go back to saying, like, how do you out, how do you evaluate coaching from the outside? It, it's really hard. It's almost impossible. But those are the signals that you can at least point to and say, well, this seems to be working. He's. I, I think sometimes with NBA coaches, what I'm looking for is like, is he doing something? And then does it seem to be working? Um, and I would say yes to, to both counts for Michael Malone. Yeah, and I guess when I say underrated, I should get more context. That sounds really buzzy, but I'm just looking. I think the top three vote-getters for Coach of the Year were, were Mike Brown, Mark Dagnalt, and Jill Missoula. And I, I don't know. The Nuggets were very good this year. Maybe it's because people had a bad taste in their mouth at the end of the season or something like that. But for a team that had uh, you know the best record in the West, feel like maybe he would have been in the discourse a little bit more, but I felt like he just he wasn't there. Okay, so we are talking about uh, coaching and adaptability and big wings and and giant teams. Mm-hmm. It's it's Los Angeles Lakers, Golden State Warriors time, Cody, precisely because one thing that we did not explicitly talk about. I think the other day we recorded right after Game 7 against the Kings and my mind was still spinning and the new series, I didn't even process that LeBron and Steph Curry were playing each other. One key to this thing to me, I have to say, I went home and I wrote up a bunch of thoughts. And at the end of it, it's one of the first times this has ever happened to me, I didn't really know who the heck to pick in the series. I just had one thought that went one way, one thought that went the other way. It's like a coin flip. It was You asked me the other day, when you boldly declared that the Warriors were taking this series on this program, right here, you said, Ben, I know this. I got this locked up, just like the Miami Heat are, are coming. The Miami Heat are like antimatter in basketball, man. They will poof. They will make you disappear. Uh, I finished my write-up, and I was, the, Warrior, the Warriors have this, and the Lakers have, I didn't know what to do. And I, I ended up leaning Warriors for one specific reason that we didn't talk about 
and it's a huge deal heading into game two, and it's potentially a huge deal for what I would call the back half of the series. Game four, when it's 2-1, you get that pivot point game four, and then you get potentially, you know, game six, game seven, all that stuff. Golden State is just about the most malleable, adaptable postseason team that I can think of in a long time. We could go back to different eras. We could go back to the Chicago Bulls uh, in the 90s. I think they had a lot of this. The game wasn't quite as sort of matchup, you know, high level, you know, crazy schemes and 40 foot pull up threes and things like that. But the Bulls were very flexible. But outside of trying to think about, you know, the Spurs and the Bulls and all these old teams, like what Golden State does, Cody, our, our friend Steve Jones Jr., the dunker spot, he said this, I think the first time he was ever on, on, on this show, he said Golden State likes data collection in game one. That's what they do in game one, data collection. And then as the series goes on, they will start to play different cards. And if you want to talk about evaluating coaches, this is one of the reasons why I feel like I'm higher on Steve Kerr. Let's get the hot takes going. Let's get the flowers handed out today. I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a jolly mood. Um, I think I'm higher than Steve Kerr and like anybody. I've never heard anybody praise Steve Kerr the way I do in my mind at night. Because, one, he's he came in and built a system that is this sort of read and react, conceptual basketball, empower the players. So much like Phil Jackson in Chicago, I think you have to give credit for building that system. But two, the big thing here, part of that system means that you can bend and flow around your opponents constantly in a playoff series because the whole darn system is designed to be reactive and adapt to what your opponent does. It's like Wing Chun with Bruce Lee or something. It's like you use the, you use the other team's momentum against you. So in game one, the giant, spectacularly defended Los Angeles Lakers side of the court um, they came up with a concept, which was not surprising. I think, I think they talked about it on the low post. One of those guys, Jeff Van Gundy or Zach Lowe, nailed it to a T. They came up with the old top and drop. The top lock the shooters and drop the big men. So what that means is when you have Steph Curry off ball, when you have Klay Thompson off ball, we're going to have our defenders not chase after them from behind, but we're going to actually put them between the defender and the hoop. We're going to turn around and get on top of them and try to sort of face guard them and muck up their ability to run off screens. Because if you backdoor and you would like to do your little back cuts and your little slipping of your screens and all that cute, beautiful game stuff, we're just going to leave Anthony Davis in the paint and he's just going to stand there. And I have a lot more to say about this and Steve Kerr, but the next flower to hand out is Anthony Davis, who... I mean, this isn't even an exaggeration. This is like peak Wilt Chamberlain. Like, like what is going on with Anthony Davis? He just keeps dominating basketball games in a way that feels cartoonish. And I don't know if it can last. And what we're going to talk about next might limit his impact, which gets super interesting, which is why I'm salivating for the rest of this series, and especially game two. But like, Golden State could not do anything in the paint when he was in there. I don't know if they're ever going to call defensive three seconds. There were some times when they literally, the, the, the strategy was you just stand in the paint and ignore Kevon Looney. Whoever is guarding Draymond Green, ignore him too. So by the way, if Anthony Davis doesn't get your stuff, 
LeBron James is going to be there. He had an enormous save block in the fourth quarter down the stretch. And like, there's other huge bodies as well. Rui Hachimura and, and we talked about Jared Vanderbilt. So this strategy, I think, really took away a lot of what Golden State is used to doing with their motion away from the ball, both for the shooters and the chaos and gravity that that creates. But hopefully I set this story up well, Cody. The Warriors are built to counter that. So my expectation is the rest of the series doesn't quite look like it did in game one. And the three guys, the three guys on the Lakers, Ben, that I think makes all that sauce. I think we probably talked about it last time. Jared Vanderbilt, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And LeBron, like you said, he can still load up and he had a couple of those blocks. That block, I think it was on Steph Curry. Maybe it was like a transition play got over. It was like a he got around the rim for the block. It was really tremendous stuff. But his his mind, he had a couple of plays, I think one in the corner where he like jumps out on the guy, maybe a little bit early. I didn't expect him to make that play on defense, but it kind of stifled what the Warriors are trying to do. All right. He's kind of like Draymond, where he's just like on the chessboard, knows everything that's going on defensively. All right. Then Jared Vanderbilt kind of can just go everywhere all right we talked about chasers last time this dude is so good at chasing around screens so good at chasing around screens and better yet when he gets down to the paint he's able to block some shots there was one play i think i think it was steph curry here right he gets doubled for a second they blitz him he gets the ball back he dribbles in he gnashes around a little bit but he can't do anything with the gnashing because like you said wilt chamberlain is waiting for him down there <laughs> right he's like I'm, I'm not letting you get a shot off okay so he tries to bring he tries to bring him out of the paint a little bit passes it down to looney I'm pretty sure it's Looney. I hope I'm not screwing up the play. Jared Vanderbilt's right there, swats it away from there. So they just shut down the paint. There was another play. Curry came in. You know, he's got that, that like really nice. It's like a really smooth. He uh, very exaggerated holds it like he's speaking to a skull, like he's performing in Hamlet. He's holding the ball and just like floats it in. Anthony Davis was just like just appeared and blocked it. And Steph Curry was just like, what just happened? He literally pauses and he's like, what is going on right now? So the difference between this series and the Kings series is against the Kings, especially game seven, right? The wizardry allowed him to get to the paint. But here, there is so much more rim protection coming from so many different angles that they're going to have to adjust to that. I do think, Ben, and I said this last time, and Ben, some people got angry about it. It, they're they're incorrect across the board. There are a lot of Lakers players I do not trust chasing oh boy. against the Warriors. Oh boy, here there we go. There are some guys, Troy, ba- Troy Brown Jr., Ben. He had an adventure. I had to stop counting <laughs> yeah. the amount of times that he screwed up playing on the chase. D'Angelo Russell had multiple issues. In, in the fourth quarter, the reason the Warriors were starting to come back is Curry or Poole would pass it to like Draymond, come right back for the DHO and pull for three and hit it. Yes, Jared Vanderbilt's an incredible chaser, but across the board, like there are multiple multiple Lakers players on the wings that I do not trust chasing the Warriors all around. So like you said, I want to see how they're going to adjust with this, but defensively, I don't know how they're going to counteract the paint being shut down by the size and intelligence that the Lakers bring down there. Yeah, I don't think the chaser part matters as much in this context because the very reason why they cha- they're they running the system they run in Game 7 is because you're not going to play straight up and have a bunch of small horizontal guys run around the court like Swiss cheese. It's just like we've got Anthony Davis. Um, the, the, of course, Jared Vanderbilt is the interesting one to watch because Jared Vanderbilt is kind of glued to Steph Curry when he's out there. But 
that gets to the kind of adjustments that we might see going forward in the series. And it gets back to what I was saying about the flexibility of the Warriors system, both with those players. We all know about the great offensive players, but with the defensive players they have, with the big wing size players that they've had. We've seen Draymond Green guard centers in key NBA finals situations, and we've seen Draymond Green guard wings and point guards in key playoff situations. You can do this because of that system and that roster that you constructed, and then credit to Steve Kerr and his staff for always trying different things, going back to Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen, just constantly mixing it up. And so it's almost the opposite of the Suns that we were talking about earlier. The Suns, it's like, I don't know what cards they have readily available to turn to. But if I were a Suns fan in this situation, I would say, I want to see something different than just the sort of high pick and roll, staggered staggered screens where we call up Jokic every time. There's actually one play in the video, and I don't think I, again, the thing you can't always stop and call out. The Nuggets are doing some fun stuff, very creative stuff that Michael Malone's doing, and sometimes they're uh, just throwing Jokic on, a, on another guy uh, to start the possession. And the Suns, it feels like they were so mechanical with their, this is what we're going to run, two, two screens at the, at the top, the first guy loops around, the second guy brings Jokic up. Biombo is in the game, and he comes up to set the screen, and Jokic isn't guarding him anymore, and every, Devin Booker just keeps dribbling. He's like, wait a second, where's Joker? And, uh, Joker? And Biombo's like, now hold on a second, who's guarding me? What happened to Jokic? And Jokic is over there guarding Tory Craig or somebody else. It's a, it's a great moment, but that's a situation where you're just going back to the same thing. Um, it's like a big ship that's hard to steer. The, the Warriors are like a little speedboat. They'll go in different directions. So what I'm looking for going forward, A, is it going to look different? How different is it going to look? And B, we saw it at the end of the game. Maybe you get enough data collection and Golden State says, okay, a um, couple things needed to change at the end of the game. Small ball. Kevon Looney has 21 rebounds in like 20 minutes. Excuse me. Moses Maloon has 21 rebounds in 20 minutes. Um, but the thing is, this series, everything we just talked about, we need to change our approach. So we're going to play one big. Whether that big is Looney or Draymond, Looney can make the short roll pass. They, they, we'll play one of them. They went small. And then... You can go to the zone. You can provide different looks when you're smaller, especially if Gary Payton is in there. We saw that in the fourth quarter. And on offense, all that stuff away from the ball, that top lock and drop and uh, try to keep the cutters, you know, get on top of the cutters, that doesn't apply when Steph Curry has the ball because you can just run a different offensive structure. So you can take those guys off ball, stick them on ball, and I don't know if we're going to see the the classic Steph Draymond pick and roll. We don't know how the Lakers are going to defend that if he's on ball. This gets back to the flowers that we have to hand out to Anthony Davis because he's so good. It's like, well, you don't really have to trap with Anthony Davis when he's your big man because he's a cheat code when he's healthy and moving well. So all these things are to be determined, but that's what I'm excited about going forward is we have a team that potentially can just play a completely different style. They're like a chameleon. The football term here would be something like multiple. You hear that term in American football, and it's a concept that I don't think has made its way into basketball as much. And, and Cody doesn't know anything about football, so he has no idea what I'm talking about. But the idea here is that if you have players that can play multiple styles, multiple positions, multiple schemes, it gives you flexibility to change from 
week to week, opponent to opponent. I think Golden State that has that in spades, and uh, that's what I'm excited about going forward. Yeah, and defensively, I think that's the key to guys like, you know, that we get really excited about with Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo. Anthony Davis, Jared Vanderbilt. I think having a defensive player like that really unlocks it and lets you do that kind of thing, which is where the criticisms of guys like Rudy Gobert, Brooke Lopez, Jared Allen come in, right? Because ideally, you're like, well, this is probably just like a one sort of system defensive player. But with these other guys, when you get deeper in the playoffs, you need to start changing it up a little bit more. Right. But we're also talking about offense in this case, which I think is what's so interesting, right? It's it's it feels rarer at the highest level of basketball to be able to say, well, uh, in this series, we'll run a ton of off-ball motion, and in this next series, it's you're, we're going to pick and roll you to death from 40 feet away with our pull-up shooting. You know, we are uh, trying to get our playoff stats board up live for our subscribers at patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball for our deluxe members. Might go up today, might go up tomorrow, or just ironing out the final kinks. And one thing I noticed, Cody, is we have three-year playoff shooting data, okay? So... The samples are still small, but you can compare and contrast the regular season to the postseason when you look at the shooting data that's tracked uh, on NBA.com and from Second Spectrum and all these sources that go out and try to try to track this shooting data. Steph Curry, um, in the playoffs in the last two years, he's taking seven pull-up threes every 36 minutes. Seven pull-up threes every 36 minutes. That's just about the same rate he launches them in the regular season. But that's an on-ball thing, right? So that, that's, that's a testament to even though we think about motion, read and react, split cuts, back cuts, all this stuff, you can flip it. And we talked so much about this with attacking Jokic or attacking drop big men. You turn into a pull-up three-point shooter and then how that can change the game because then it unlocks the short roll, the trap, the pick and roll. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see where this one goes. I'm, I'm, if the series doesn't look different going forward, one, I would be shocked. And two, I would think it's huge trouble for Golden State because Los Angeles – when the way that game was played schematically really felt like they had, I wouldn't say a huge advantage, but comfortably an upper hand throughout the entire night. So you started this whole segment saying that after painstakingly going through your write-up, that maybe you lean the Warriors still a, a little bit. How do you feel about that after game one? Are you unwavering? Unwavering. Are you like, oh, okay. Unwavering. I still have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm still ba- I'm still banking I'm still banking on the fact that they start to change they start to magically change things they wave a magic wand uh, and they change things now the lake the Lakers the Lakers look great they're playing great it's really a fascinating story especially with the health of Anthony Davis we have we have some other series that we do want to talk about before we get out of here but Cody I'm going to let you choose should we continue the running gag of of, of ignoring the Boston Celtics. And their franchise, we're on an incredible streak. We haven't talked about the Celtics in like 37 episodes. Or, or do you want to talk about them first and do the Knicks and the Heat second? Man, you can't, you can't set it up like that. Because now, listen, this is a tough position. Because now if I go towards the Celtics, I feel like I'm just like blowing up the joke. But do I like intentionally go for the joke knowing it's a joke? Like, is it any more a joke? Is it, is it just over? Is the gambit up? I, I sort of think this is should, too meta I, even for me. I don't know what's happening. I think 
I think the gig is up, Ben. I think we have to talk about the sell just a little bit. I think we at least should give them a couple of minutes, or maybe not. Maybe we should just talk about James Harden dropping forty-five because we all saw him getting his career high with the with the Seventy Sixers. That right? doesn't surprise me at all. James yeah, Harden, no. a player of that quality, who other people don't think is an All Star. Yeah, the non All Star, the non All Star James Harden. Yeah, um, I think I think my short take on this is that. And by, by the way, are we going to do the best players of the playoffs before we yes. get out of here? Okay. We'll get there. We'll okay. get there. We're going to do best players of the... I probably should have mentioned that at the beginning <laughs> of the episode. They're going to get mad at me. It's going to be like the title is going to be like best player of the playoffs. And then someone's going to be like, why did you wait until the 44th minute? Wait, get- we should have started with that instead of Living Plus? Was, was that a mistake? <laughs> yes, I didn't. So, okay. That's what happened. You start talking about Living Plus. I lost my brain. Um, I think in game one, the Celtics... We're prepared for Joel Embiid. That you do the prep work, you have the time off, you have a few days, and then he's not there. And maybe you don't have a quick on-the-fly game plan for James Harden. You kind of maybe underestimate what Harden is still capable. I mean, after all, he's not an all-star. So you, you, why would you think to load up your defense against him and have certain rules in place? And so it's one of those weird things where for a game one specifically, it's not that Philadelphia is a better team. But it's almost like it it changes the dynamic of the scheme and the matchup to give them an advantage, if that makes sense, right? And I think that's what ended up happening in game one, where you, you get hardened off. Um, maybe you play a little down to the team because Embiid's not there. But A, that wouldn't last. And B, when Embiid came back in game two, you could start to see, okay, now what's going on? The Celtics are guarding Embiid with Marcus Smart. Why are they doing this? Probably to... It's what we talked about earlier with the forwards and the strong... Marcus Smart's a really strong player. So you want to deny him an easy path to his catch. You want to take a little bit longer in the clock. You don't want Embiid catching it at 14 feet. You want him catching at 21 feet out near the three-point line. This kind of stuff was probably... Uh, what Boston was preparing for. We saw them throw a couple double teams that caused a few issues. Um, even when they don't cause issues, it's like it's harder for Embiid with his passing to really exploit that. So I thought Boston defensively throwing different defenders, how they were going to switch. I think there was one possession, which I loved, where they started with Smart on Embiid. And then the Sixers tried to get an empty side pick and roll with a guard. And the guard was probably Tyrese Maxey, and he was being guarded by, like, Derek White. So they can get Embiid on White in that pinch post area that he loves, and that's money for them. But the Celtics were waiting for it, and they scrammed Al Horford in. And so it's just like, you can see that they were preparing for this kind of stuff to slow Embiid down. I thought Embiid looked pretty good physically for coming off the knee issue that he's coming off of or still still working with. Um, let's, let's throw out some more flowers. Whew. Joel Embiid's rim protection in the first half. Do you have five blocks in the first half? Um, it, w- it, was, it was good stuff. His, his agility for his size, when he's focused and he can kind of like go, I want to go there now. Like these little straight line bursts with little twists, absolutely unbelievable body control, um, which makes the whole falling down thing even more maddening. <laughs> was, that, was that smart? Who was it that like bumped him and he went? It was it was, was Grant, Grant Williams. It was Grant, Grant Williams. Williams. Re, Re, yeah. Miller, uh, <laughs> Reggie God Miller. Reggie Miller. Reggie uh, Miller. I we I, I I would I would love to talk to Reggie about his his career one day. Um, but he did call Grant Williams six three on the broadcast, and I was wondering, I was wondering how Grant Williams of all people 
feels about being listed at at six three. He said six foot three. Grant Williams has just gently nudged the seven foot three hundred pound Joel Embiid. Anyway, let's get back on track. He's in the Charles Barkley camp of just like every time you tell the story, he's a little bit shorter. Where yeah. at some point I'm like, actually no, he was probably closer to six six. We're not talking about a six two point guard. I think Barkley was six one, right? Yeah, did he even hit six feet? It's like a, it's like an Allen Iverson kind of thing. Probably closer to like five one. You know, uh, the, the thing about what's interesting. We're talking about athleticism, though. I feel like this sort of athleticism Bede has reminds me of the athleticism that LeBron has right now, right? Where he doesn't have like the side to side super quickness, but like when he loads up and he goes in a straight line, he can get there really quickly and he can meet you at the top really quickly. But with Embiid, man. Okay, I'll, I'll save that for a second. But I, I think what was really interesting is the Celtics, very intelligently, I thought they attacked him hard to start game two. Like, they went at him. There were a couple plays where Jason Tatum, I think he got an and one on him. Jalen Brown tried to just end his life. I think it ended up being a layup, but he came in there just absolutely no, no, ready to just tear the rim off. No, 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 that was later. That was later. Before that, earlier in the game, Jalen Brown finished like a really strong layup over, like just going straight at Embiid. And then Brown came back later, and he absolutely just rejected it. But I think Embiid kind of like, he was like, all right, I can move. I'm feeling comfortable out here. I can start blocking some shots. It felt like offensively is where I was like, I'm, I'm not so sure about it yet. Ben, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure if Embiid should have played that game. I don't, I don't know if that was a smart decision. Wow. Wow, the takes are flying. Um, yeah. This is from our, our wonderful Discord community. At Thinking Basketball, if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, they they have all kinds of fun stuff that they get into. Pursuer Junior, I got to give credit to Pursuer Junior. He pointed this out. I couldn't believe it. I had to look it up twice. Joel Embiid has fewer made field goals in the 2023 playoffs than Kawhi Leonard. Oh. (laughs) Wow. Junior, I'm impressed. I would like to hear pursuer seniors takes on this because you, you definitely got your intelligence from somewhere um okay have we talked enough about the celtics and the 76ers <laughs> yeah i'm gonna finish this take because that, that felt a little too hot to finish here's the thing there was like a zero percent chance that the sixers were going to steal them both from boston like it just wasn't going to happen zero percent i think Z- you should be careful throwing that around okay. after the miami okay. heat made 97 three-pointers in a playoff series against the milwaukee bucks Okay, I'll, I'll back off a bit, all right? So I, there was a very low chance that the 76ers were going to steal both in Boston, right? So give, give Embiid a couple of more days of rest, bring him back in Philly, let him ride the home crowd coming in. Just, I don't know, you stole game one, sacrificed game two. Maybe, look, I also get the mind of a competitor. I'm sure Embiid was like, listen, I can walk. I've got my, like, giant three-foot encasement around my leg i can go play and i get that like i'm sure that was a big part of it but strategically i feel like it would have been better if you would have waited another game he didn't seem like himself offensively he had the one blow by around horford where he threw down a major jam and i was like yeah this is Embiid." but i don't know i'm a little concerned he came back a day early i thought he looked pretty good i think you're okay. you're i mean he's got a little rust from being off that's one possible thing but I thought he looked pretty good physically, especially some of those defensive plays in the first half. And I I give credit to the Celtics for throwing them different looks and, uh, you know, probably having a plan that was more prepared for Embiid than than for a hardened centric offense. And 
we'll see what you, you have more to say about this I, living I plus just re- ben we forgot a guy of this bouquet of beautiful peonies over here and i need to hand Sorry, them out to somebody the peonies oh, i think okay. they're a, a peony yes. a, a peony they're like I, I don't actually know i literally just googled what are some good flowers to give as a gift there are some I, international I, listeners right now <laughs> wondering what you're talking about keep going ben paul reed Rules. Oh, Paul Reed. Do you, do, do you mean Paul Bob Cousy Reed? Uh, <laughs> wow. He had some passes in this game. Not only that, but I think at the first round, he had like a random play where he was just dribbling, evaded the defense by dribbling in between his legs backwards and finishing and one. He's He's got some tricks up his sleeve. He had that behind the back pass, but I love his defensive flexibility, right? Embiid is obviously, like we just talked about, a tremendous rim protector. But it, when Paul Reed was out there, I thought the 76ers both in game one and game two played some pretty solid zone defense. And I think a big, a, a strong... I don't know what word I'm trying to use here, but a good reason that they were being successful with it is Paul Reed's flexibility. We talk about flexible defenders. Paul Reed can kind of do it all out there. And when you see like James Harden putting on like the turnstile defensive performance of of the century, like having somebody like Paul Reed out there who's going to help clean up some of that mess, man, I just love him. We we need more Paul Reed in our lives. You're you're on fire today. Paul Reed has you hot and bothered. You've you've <laughs> you've got you should be on a morning show with uh with the way you're coming out and swinging with some of these takes. This is really inspirational. I'll give you a hot take. It's not okay. hot. I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> I, I just I'll, I'll take a take. At this I think point. this series starts in Game Three. If you know Ooh. what I mean. Okay. Yeah. The, let's see. Let's see what the game looks like in Philadelphia. Let's see what the game looks like when Embiid has been back a little bit. You got the home court. You have a, You have now a game to react to how Boston defended Embiid. What the Celtics like to do offensively. I, I mean that Boston spacing. On offense, I think it's been an emphasis for them all season because the, throughout the regular season, their spacing was incredible. But um, Al Horford, Tatum, Brown, and, and Malcolm Brogdon, these guys, they're just unbelievable space to attack. And so you get you, you made the joke about being a turnstile, but Tobias Harris as well as James Harden, when Boston is coming down in early offense, they have all that space to attack because of the spacing, and it's very hard for them to contain the ball. You get a breakdown in the paint, you kick it out, and then you have the defense in rotation. And the last thing I'll say, similar, like I want to see what happens in game three, Philadelphia can have some issues in transition with their defense. That's not a new thing, right? Two corner shooters and beat under the basket, James Harden driving and falling down under the basket, and beat falling down under the basket even when he doesn't have the ball. Boston, I think, understood that they look to attack that and get early advantages or small advantages. Um, there's one play in particular where Philadelphia had no clue who should guard who. I mean, they're like, one guy's like, Maxi, you go over here. Maxi's like, I want to go over here. Harris is like, you go over there. Um, and then all Boston did was come down and a little drag pick and roll. They still didn't know who they were guarding. Two players went with Grant Williams on the slip. And Malcolm Brogdon finds himself dribbling the ball into the front court, getting a screen and being absolutely wide open for a three. I don't know if you know this, Mal- Malcolm Brogdon made a lot of threes in that game. Um, so that's what I look forward to in game three. In that you have another, yeah. you have one more thought before we go uh, to Madison Square Garden? Yeah, I was going to say there is, I can think of another defensive breakdown. And I think, we, you know, we, we talked about the clip a little bit. I, I couldn't figure out if they were in zone. I didn't know if there the was PJ a miscommunication. Tucker. Yeah, but like Grant, I think it's Grant Williams switches yeah. to the other side. I, I think that's just a one-off with with PJ. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because um, otherwise, I thought in the half court they were pretty good, but 
the the transition stuff is definitely something to to keep an eye on. Okay. How many we've done the Warriors, we've done the Nuggets, we've done the Celtics. Uh that leaves your absolute all-time favorite series, the Heat and the Knicks. I don't have too much to say about this. I mean, we we could have folded this into our wing conversation given RJ Barrett's emergence in these playoffs as another one of these kind of players who's got a big body and the game gets physical and tough. And I think the big question here is, do we, do we have any word on whether Jimmy Butler is going to play in game three? Do we, do we know that? I'm, I'm trying to see if I can get our right, people you, on it right you, you get our stats team on that. Um, I will say, going back to your point about coaching, that man, Eric Spolster is like a genius. That guy impresses me so much um the stuff first of all in game one mixing in man and zone a ton to create confusion and then in game two just sticking with the zone a lot as a way to protect players like Duncan Robinson or Kevin Love because the Knicks were hunting Duncan Robinson and Kevin Love when possible or when in man situations in pick and roll by bringing them into the into the screening action but well, let's let's talk about briefly what Eric Spolstra has done additionally, and then the Knicks had a super cool counter that I loved. Eric Spolstra, like, drops the guards in pick and roll, Cody. So so we talked about. I have a video on the NBA app. If you haven't seen it, um, you're, you're welcome to to go check it out. It was a lot of fun to make about the Knicks and the Cavs in the first round. And how you end up having the Cavs bend the defense to Jalen Brunson and uh, all this stuff that opens up the offensive rebounding for the Knicks. Well, one of the key adjustments there for the Knicks was to have Brunson guard, guard, pick and roll. So whether it's R.J. Barrett or um, what other guards are on that on that team, um, Emmanuel quickly. Why am I forgetting? Quentin Grimes. Quentin Grimes. I, isn't there one more? J- Josh Hart. Josh Hart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's who I was thinking of. So you have the two smalls, quote unquote smalls, set the pick and roll on the wing. It creates switches. It sometimes uh, you know you want to hedge, and it and then you have a short roll outlet where the guy with the ball is a guard, or he can shoot better than the big man. Mitchell Robinson is not a shooter. Isaiah Hartenstein is not a shooter. So the Knicks did that. The Heat come into this series, and when the Knicks run their guard-guard pick-and-roll, let's say uh, Kyle Lowry is guarding someone, um, and he comes into the pick-and-roll as the screen defender, he just drops like a big, like a big, he's like eight feet behind the screen. And he's like, okay, um, we're not just going to switch this. We're going to have the guard try to go around it, and then we're going to ask, what, what are you going to do Josh Hart, were you going to roll to the basket for a lob or a dunk? I don't think so. So, you know, I don't know if it's the most sustainable strategy because maybe you can figure out a way to counter it. But boy, Eric Spolstra just comes up with that guy's a magician. He just comes up with absolutely everything. So the zone, um, I love this. And you got to give credit to Tibbs because even some of these older coaches from these prior generations that we don't think of or the public doesn't give the credit. You don't get the coach of the year pops anymore, things like that. Um, Tibbs had a cool adjustment or counter in the, I think it was in the second half of game two. The Heat are in this zone, a ton. Zone, 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 zone. And what the Knicks were doing is setting ball screens in the zone. 
So if you think about a zone, think about a 2-3 zone and you have the two smalls up top, right? So Brunson has the ball. Someone's guard, one of the zone spots is guarding him and you have a big come over and you have him screen whoever's guarding Brunson. And then as Brunson goes to turn the corner around the screen, the other small up at the top will basically switch onto him. That's effectively what's happening in a zone, right? And that's pretty vanilla. A lot of teams, some teams fall apart when they see a zone. They just start passing the wall around like it's a, like it's a John Wooden drill or something. <laughs> um, so he sets the screen. The adjustment the Knicks made, which was super cool, was to set the screen not on the guy guarding the ball, but the next guy. So the other guard in the 2-3 situation. Almost like screening your own man in a way. And that that opened up some things for the Knicks in the second half that started to get some offensive flow that made me feel comfortable. But of course, you know, what's the Jimmy Butler status? That's the big question. Um, if he comes back, does that tilt the equation in another direction? Uh, I don't know how many X's and O's you can kind of come up with to, to outsmart Eric Spolstra over a seven-game series. What's the status on Jimmy Butler? So all I could find is Miami Herald's Barry Jackson reports on Twitter that uh, Eric Spolstra declined to give any semblance of an update on Jimmy Butler today. So uh, that's a that's a non-answer at this point. We're not really sure about it. We're, we're still working on getting some answers. Boy, if it were any other coach, I would assume that means that he's not playing, but it's Eric Spolstra. So it might mean that he's 110%. I think... <laughs> I think, Ben, here's the thing about Eric Spolster as a coach. I think that he actually likes it when you take away his best players. Like, he strikes me as a guy that's like, great, give me the role players. I'm going to make I'm gonna make the best out of this situation. Brad Stevens kind of reminded me of that. I always thought that Brad Stevens liked it when he didn't have stars on his team. And Eric Spolster's the same way. It's like, yes, now I get to actually coach in the playoffs. I don't have Jimmy Butler to bail me out. This is all just, all just a chess match at this point. Yeah. Um... I, I did think that was a pretty gnarly ankle injury, having had some gnarly ankle injuries myself on the basketball court. So hopefully he's okay, but I would not be surprised at all, given that non-answer and given the injury, if if this is, uh, you know, more games than just game two that we're talking about. One point I want to make that you said it earlier, and I think Bam is actually a great a non-example of this. You know, he's about as amorphous as a defense player as you can get. You can deploy him in basically any defensive system. But when, when we talk about the concept of shiftability, you know, being able to move up in a role like your, your main star offensive player isn't there and you can kind of ramp it up and, and be more efficient, create some shots. Bam, I think, is a... I don't know if a rare star, star, but he's the certain kind of star that he doesn't necessarily, he's not very good at increasing the primacy on offense, right? Every time Bam plays, regardless of who his teammates are, it feels like he has the exact same kind of offense. So he's not the kind of guy that in Jimmy's absence, he's going to be stepping up and like all of a sudden he's scoring 30 points and whatever else. Like whatever the game is, it seems like he's going to be scoring and creating in exactly the same sort of way. Uh, and I think that's one thing I've noticed with the Heat is like they just don't have that other guy that's going to be able to fully step up. I know Gabe Vincent 
has looked really good. Gabe Vincent has just been tremendous. He's been shooting with absolute reckless abandon. Uh, Kyle Lowry hasn't been super efficient, but I've liked, you know, he's had a couple plays. Like, there's one point, Emmanuel Quickly, who we got to talk about in a second here, is splitting the difference on some kind of action that's going over here. And Kyle Lowry's like, oh, I'm going to cut and throw him off. Gets down there, gives just a little bit, like the smallest pump fake in the history of pump fakes. Mitchell Robinson's just like blown out of the shoes by it. He's like, what is this? And Lowry just finishes at the basket. Like, he's he's just incredible out there. But yeah, my overall point with that is just like they don't have uh, that other star that in Jimmy's stead is going to step up and be like, yep, I'm the main offensive guy now. You don't think Gabe Vincent and, and Max Struess are the, are the next Wade and LeBron? <laughs> you mean Highsmith and Duncan Robinson? No. I, what is going on with Gabe Vincent and Max Struess? How good are these players? I can't. They're let's just, let's yeah. give them some more flowers for even making me consider. Because I think there's a difference between being a solid, scrappy, viable playoff performer, which is what those guys look like on on the surface. And then some of the things that they do at times during big games, and you're like, oh, Gabe Vincent has seven threes and 32 points and three steals. And he's just, oh, okay, Max Struess <laughs> has eight threes in this game. I don't understand what's, what a, what a play by Max Struess. I mean, I think it goes back to credit to the to the system and the coaching and the preparation uh, and your whole point about trying to take non-star players and just make uh, make wine out of water. It's um, it's really incredible. I have, to, I, have, I have to turn this grim for a second, Ben. Grim? What, 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 what grim. do you mean? The show's over. What do you mean grim? We, it's not over. We have a whole other segment to go, Ben. Um, it's going out with the manual quickly. We don't have another segment. This is the end of the show. We didn't, we didn't talk about the, the best players of the, yeah, the playoffs. Yeah, I know. That's going to be another episode. Come on. Uh, <laughs> that's ours. We had to tease that. We had to get, we have to see, we need to get feedback from people. They need to let us know. If you're on Spotify or if you're on Twitter, let us know if you want to hear us talk about the best players of the, of the 2023 play. We just had to, we had oh to God. test that. What did they call that? Beta testing? We had to just, I, I think so. Yeah. We, we brought in some, some focus groups. It was a focus group situation. Ben, um, what's going on with Emmanuel quickly? We why are you doing this? this I wanted to end the show. Why are you? Why are you? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you making 15 me points? Fifteen points per seventy-five on negative ten relative true shooting. What's going on, Ben? I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Um, young players. It could be a confidence thing. It could be a playing time thing. By the way, hats off to Tibbs again for. Flowers. Just constantly sticking with his troops. Like, like this game, I'm going with Obi Toppin over Julius Randle. It doesn't matter. And in game two, um, RJ Barrett, who's been so good, he basically had him on the, on the bench for a ton of the stretch down the fourth quarter precisely because the Brunson, Hart, uh, I think, was Grimes out there? I'm trying to remember the exact line. And Hartenstein, right? Wasn't Hartenstein out there instead of Mitchell Robinson? I mean, I, I, I know... For some of the hometown fans of, of Tibbs teams, even going back to Chicago, I think this drove some of the fans nuts. But there is an element of sticking with what's working. And it's not even being overly results-oriented. Like, the process was working. These guys have an advantage. I don't need to shake things up. And you stay with the Hartensteins of the world for the last six minutes or whatever it is. So more more flowers to be given. What should be the title of this episode? Flowers flowers all around? Yeah, we're handing out flowers. I would make some kind okay. of pun about it, but I can't think of it. I have to end with a stat, Ben. This is, this is wild. How many... No, you're going to like this. You're going to like this. How many Knicks players 
are shooting above league average relative true shooting percentage in the playoffs? Uh, I am going to go with Mitchell Robinson. Yep. And maybe Hartenstein. Is that my, that's my, that would be my answer. You're off by one. The answer is Mitchell Robinson. You, you tricked me. I was going to say <laughs> you heard you all heard it at home. I said maybe. Cody made a face when I said Mitchell Robinson, like who else? And I was like, there's someone else besides Mitchell Robinson over league average. Yeah. That, I mean, and Kyle the, Lowry faked you out of your boots. The, there. You, you've been taking notes from Kyle Lowry. Um, if you want to support this show, patreon.com. Slash thinking basketball. I mean, I understand why you wouldn't after this, after what we've done today. This is really living plus is what's happened today. Um, that's where we're going to have our playoff stats that Cody just referenced up any any minute now. These things will be live. Uh, we have we have additional content. Um, Cody, I don't know if you noticed this, but many people have asked about my 2022 player evaluations. Those are up for Patreon subscribers. Oh. Only 11 months late. Those are up as well. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. <laughs> if you're still listening, thanks a ton. Um, let it, let us know. Let us know in a comment somewhere if you want us to talk about the best players of the 2023 playoffs so far. And, oh, man, enjoy, enjoy the basketball tonight. Lakers, Warriors, if you're listening to this later over the weekend, ton of fun games games threes games threes game threes and game fours coming up and we will be back with you after the weekend to talk about them in all their glory of course i do not forget i also hope you are having a great day <laughs>